Welcome to another Come Together podcast. Today, I'm chatting with jewelry designer and founder of From Isla. Alexa shares her inspiring story of how she went all in as a jewelry designer and the inspiration behind her collection. Thank you so much for joining me today. Can you introduce yourself and share a bit about how you got into making jewelry? Yeah. Hi. So, Alexa, and um, I actually I get asked all the time if I'm Isla because of um, my brand is from Isla. But yeah, I had to in- stop for a second yeah. to think about. <laughs> It gets pronounced a hundred different ways and I really didn't think about it when I was choosing it, (laughs) but, um, because I liked how it kind of sounded like from the Island and that's been like a running theme for my jewelry since I began, um, back in 2014, I was like just playing with like wire wrapping crystals and I would like go gem shows and buy just like little crystal points and wrap them up and string them on necklaces. Um, and then I really started to, you know, get more into like ocean conservation. So when I would go on vacations, we um, would like collect seashells from the beach and like little like, we'd find in the sand. And I would wrap those up and like, you know, put them on Etsy and be like, I'm selling, you know, this piece and I'm donating a portion to ocean conservation. So that was sort of like the like very, very beginning, which is so funny to look at now. Um, but so then that kind of like to using gold filled and silver. When I moved out to L.A., I started dabbling in that. And um, just, you know, with each like design that I wanted to do, I'd have to teach myself how to do it. And, you know, it would like new materials. And so it just sort of slowly evolved and I started testing out new materials. And eventually I got into um, fine jewelry, which I think I wanted to do the whole time. I was just afraid because I've been self-taught. So I didn't really like know, you know, where to start or, or really what to do. And um, the evolution of Fermila has been like a long time coming feeling like now I'm finally where I want to be. But yeah, the beginning of From Island, how I got into it was just like finding stuff on the beach. Wire. <laughs> That's so cool. Mm-hmm. What, so did you go to college and what, if so, what did you go to college for? We went to school um, at the Fashion Institute of Technology in New York City for fashion design. And oh, okay. uh, so I, um, I studied special occasion. So I was studying like bridal and evening dresses and stuff. And I was, which I think sort of led me into doing like engagement rings and, you know, little intricate rings and stuff. So I think I'm still doing, you know, special occasion design. I'm just using a different medium now. Yeah, that I could see that transition. So when did you decide that maybe fashion design wasn't the right path and you were more passionate about the jewelry design? So I think um, actually in college, there was like a moment where I was like, I can't do fashion anymore. I need fashion. I'm going to become a marine biologist. You know, I went through like that for a second. Yeah. And then, you know, and so I kind of, like, you know, doing jewelry and fashion for a little bit. And I had been doing, um, for Myla as like my side hustle for years. 
when I moved out here, I was doing swimwear design. I did a little bit of bridal design for a, just a minute when I moved here. And then I started doing swimwear design and feeling like fulfilled in the same way that um, I felt when I was making jewelry. So I think actually 20, you know, I'm sure a lot of people had, you know, epiphanies in 2020. We are all locked down. I was just thinking, you know, like I can do this full time. I enjoy it that much that making jewelry is, you know, becoming more important to me than passion. And it was so scary at first because I'm like, oh my God, I went to school for four years and I, it was so hard. Like fashion school was so hard and throw that away to do jewelry. But um, I'm like still a designer and I'm still using so much of what I learned in school and what I learned design jobs to help me like build collections and you know just stuff like that so I think um yeah maybe was when I was like it's time to do it full time you know I love jewelry more than fashion now which was was surprising at the time it was like a long time coming yeah it's it's funny I there there was so many people that during COVID really reflected and had that space to to really think about what they really wanted to be doing. So it's really cool that you went for it. What did you think you would be doing when you were a kid? Did you think it would be fashion? Oh, totally. Oh my gosh. I was so obsessed with like Teen Vogue. Like, do you remember those little Vogue magazines? Yes. (laughs) I had so many of them and I would like trace the dresses and I'd like try and design my own when I was little. Like that was just my dream. And so I started um, teaching myself how to sew in middle school. So I was like making like little tops in middle school. And then high school, I was making homecoming dresses and prom dresses that were, you know, looking back at it, I'm like, oh my God, that, how did that dress not fall apart? Like it was so bad. <laughs> <laughs> but, um, and then, yeah, I just always knew. And I felt so lucky that I knew what to do from a young age because so many of my friends were you know, like stressed out when they had to pick a college and a major and they didn't know what they wanted. So I think fashion was like, it was my hobby for such a long time. And I just really loved like the creativity that, you know, came with like designing your own look. And, um, but yeah, fashion design has had been my dream since I can remember. Yeah. So what, what do you think has been the most challenging part of having your brand and being a jewelry designer since you've gone full time? Has there been something that's, that's been like a challenge to really overcome? Um, I think probably the most challenging as this journey has just been the fact that I am self-taught. I think, um, you know, I have do a lot with just YouTube videos and books and, you know, asking for help here and there, a lot of trial and error. But, um, I think when you're self-taught, it's, um, it can be like really intimidating joining an industry that is like my like fellow jewelers that, you know, I see on Instagram and they're like, they've been in the industry for so long. And, you know, they went to school for it and they're so talented and it it got really easy to like compare myself and like the imposter syndrome took over. So I invested in like a um, week long stone setting course a few months ago that helped tremendously my skill set and my confidence. 
So I think really like learning, like being self-taught is, it's really, really hard. I think, you know, there are some things that you can learn by trial and error and it's great. And maybe it's even better to learn that way. But for me, trying figure out, you know, how do I do this setting? You know, I didn't, I didn't learn this or I want to try, you know, to use this stone and not know how has been like so frustrating. So that's been, I mean, I'm definitely like, I'm taking more classes here and there and I'm, you know, taking more classes. I think you can never stop learning as a designer, but, um, when you're not like when you jump into a new industry, it's, it's scary when, you're like totally self-taught. Yeah, it's interesting though, because I think sometimes what is the most frustrating or challenging part can also be the thing that really sets you apart. And I think Mm -hmm. why your pieces to me are so special because they do, even though they're like beautiful and they're fine jewelry pieces, they all look like they're soul to them and they're all so unique Mm-hmm. Um, so I, I, I wonder too, yeah, if you would have taken a more traditional route, if they would still have that character to them. That's a good, that's a really good point, you know? And I think I, that had a, I was thinking about that, like when I was applying to schools actually, cause I was, went to, I ended up going to FIT, but Parsons was a school that I wanted to get into. The way they teach at both schools is so different. And the designers that come out of each school are so different. And FIT was definitely traditional cut and sew, you know, more, you know, fitted stuff. And Parsons was a little bit more um, creative and free flowing kind of, you know, of an aesthetic. And I do think probably if I had traditional training, I might have gone more in a traditional and I don't think that's me. So I am, you know, you're so right. Like it is probably for the best that I'm figuring it all out on my own. And I'm really carving my own, path with design yeah do you have do you have a favorite because I love all your rings and um, the emeralds are really beautiful but do you have a favorite stone to work with I love opals I've been so obsessed with opals forever and I just think they're like the most magical stone I love that they come in all different colors and each one is so different which is um, really what I'm trying to do with my jewelry. I, I want each piece to be so, you know, one of a kind, like, like you know, you get one opening and no one will have that. Even if it's a similar style, like it's still different enough because the stone just sets it apart. So I think um, opals are my favorite. <laughs> mm, yeah, they are really beautiful too. You know, I was curious. So when in 2020, when you decided to go full-time with jewelry and put the, the swimwear designing behind for some mm-hmm. time, did you, did you have like a whole roadmap planned out? Like, did you have a bunch of savings or did you just go for it and take that blind leap? Or I'm just wondering for people that might be in that same position that they want to mm-hmm. go for it, but they don't even know like mm-hmm. how to. <laughs> I like a lot of podcasts and read a lot of blogs about, you know, what do you do when you want to make your side hustle, your full-time job? Like that was definitely something that I had Googled a lot. And, um, I put a lot of thought into it for sure. I, um, I, it's going to say, you know, make sure that you've got X amount saved up. So, you know, if you don't make any money, you'll be fine for many months. And, 
that number is huge. And I was mm-hmm. like, I'm not going to be able to, <laughs> to save up that much. You know, I want to, I want to quit my job now. And so I had enough saved that I felt comfortable and I was confident enough in myself that I would make it work. So, um, I think like probably the best advice I could give if in that, that's in that position is you need to be so incredibly confident in yourself and, um, you know, your next career path that you will do whatever it takes to make it work because you can't slack off, you know, like, you know, taking breaks when you're starting a brand new business, when you're leaving something so secure, uh, you know, you're willing to leave that steady paycheck and like health insurance and benefit, you know, you're willing to leave mm-hmm. that behind for your passion. You better want that passion so badly that you'll do anything for it. And then I think with that mindset, you can accomplish. I think you're right. I think that's so huge because I think from going from like a corporate job where you maybe have someone telling you like, these are the things you need to get done every day. This is what you Mm -hmm. need to do to go from that to having all that accountability being on yourself. And even if you don't feel like it, you're going to have to get up and work to pay Mm -hmm. your bills and eat and do all those things. Exactly. Yeah. Do you remember like a time or something that felt really devastating or like a failure, but that turned out to be a blessing and it could be in regards to your business or just Mm -hmm. in life or anything. One of the most like not, I don't even want to say devastating, but it was at the time it felt devastating. So a big like turning point in my life was right after I graduated college. I, um, so I was living in New York city. I moved home to my hometown of Pittsburgh, Pennsylvania, for um, just a, f- a few months. And in that time, I decided I wanted to move to California. And there was no job, no apartment, no friends out there, you know, nothing. I was just like, I have this feeling and like a calling towards California. So um, the guy I was with at the time, I was like, hey, I think I think we should move. Like, let's go. So we packed up the car and across the country with like literally no plans, which is so scary that I even did that because <laughs> I'm so not like that now. And we stayed on Airbnb for a few weeks. I found us an apartment. And very shortly after we moved in together, I just decided that's not what I wanted anymore. So we split up and I found myself alone in an apartment that I couldn't afford in a city I- with like no job and no car. And I was like, what, what do I do? Like, what, how is not why I came to LA, you know, people come to LA with these big dreams and that's what I wanted. And that's all I had was this dream. And I had to figure out fairly quickly, okay, I can't live here anymore. So where do I live? I need to get a car. I need to somehow make friends because I cannot be doing this by myself. And like, I mean, if you, you know, if you move into a different city as an adult, to make adult friends. So I was like, you know, just calling my parents and, you know, friends from back home and just trying to. So I think when I look back at that moment, 
now, I just am so impressed and proud to hug myself because that was hard. Like that was very, very hard. It felt so incredibly traumatic at the time. But I think, you know, looking back, I can be like, you got out of something that you didn't like. And that's, you know, I don't really know how many people can say that, you know, and I, I use that a lot. And like, you know, when I'm feeling down about myself or when I'm, you know, when you run did your you own business, get roommates or how did you solve that? Yeah. Oh my gosh. So I was like on every apartment finder app and, um, I actually ended up finding and so perfect for me at the time, but I found a, um, apartment in Manhattan beach with a bunch of girls and they are so great. And it was everything that I needed, like the perfect landing pad, you know, like I, it was like just a dream. So it was really a perfect situation for what I was coming out of. Um, so I ended up living there for a while and, um, then I, you know, found a job and my dad came out and are, and like it, it all, it all fell into place, you know, and it was so, so traumatic at the time, but I blessing really in disguise that I, you know, got out of something I didn't want and was put on this different track that I don't know if I would be in the same place um, today if it wasn't for that. Yeah, that's so great that you followed your intuition and your gut. And like you said, I mm-hmm. think sometimes we stay in situations that we know are not what we should mm-hmm. be in because we're afraid and we don't know what to do. <laughs> yeah, exactly. Yeah. You get comfortable and then you stay. And I think when you're uncomfortable is like when the real growth happens. Yes, I agree. And I think it's it also when you were talking about when you go for it a hundred percent with your business, it's the same thing. Like you're in that uncomfortable mm-hmm. spot. So you might push your business actually further because you have to, you have no backup yeah. plan. You have nothing else. You have to go all in or you mm-hmm. won't yeah yeah pretty much (laughs) do you have any favorite practices or tools that you use for your mental health just to stay feeling your best um I've been working out in the mornings recently stick to more of a um stricter morning routine has been really helpful um I think just when I'm moving around in general is really helpful for me. So like taking my Husky Aquila for walks, like by the beach and in the sun. Um, The one thing that I love that makes me feel the most recharged is camping. Um, Mm. Do that all the time. But when you can, it really is so just like magical to be in the woods and you're not on, you're not on, not, you know, checking on social media and answering emails. You're just so in the present and that's like definitely been the most for me it's just being like outside in nature without my phone <laughs> what's your favorite camping spot we so each year we go up to sequoia and we'll go um we've stayed in a few campsites but i am so obsessed with trees so if i can you know just be like amongst them, I am so happy. So Sequoia is definitely a spot. I love Sequoia too. It's really beautiful. And Big Sur, of course. <laughs> yeah. 
Um, can you share a favorite book or podcast? Are you much of a reader? Do you, you said you listen to podcasts too, right? Mm-hmm. Yeah. So I actually just finished the Outlander series. There's nine books and they're humongous. They're each like a thousand pages. They're like ridiculously big, but I've been reading the series since college and um, I'm so obsessed with it. I don't know if you've seen the show, but no. Oh my God. It's so good. Highly recommend the books. I think they're even better than the show. Um, so I just finished re- reading that. And then for podcasts, I kind of like, it depends on my mood, but I've been cycling through a few. Um, so I love listening to comedians. So I'll listen to Smartless is a really good one for me. Mm. And then Fly on the Wall. They have like a lot of SNL cast members on there so that's always a fun one to listen to um and then if I want something scary I'll do nothing or dark which is kind (laughs) of like spooky but that's a good one and then um for like an animal like podcast I listen to this one called the wild times so I kind of just cycle between those guys oh I'll have to check those out Mm mm-hmm do you have a favorite mantra or quote you try to live by? I try to, I try, I, like, just trust your gut. And it's so much easier to say it than to actually do it. But um, I second guess myself all the time. So I try and just remember, you know, just trust your instincts, go with, you know, your first just, you know, stick with it, especially now that I'm designing a bunch of collections for all the shows that I have coming up. I keep like going the collections and second guessing, you know, is this what people want to see? Or is this too similar to what I already did? Or is this not different enough? But I think what I'm realizing is to just, you know, trust, just to trust yourself. So that's something that I've been saying a lot a while ago, I was told by someone, good entrepreneurs don't let little things bother them. And I said to myself a lot too, because I'm definitely guilty of letting little things bother me. So that's been really helpful. Yeah, I, I think that's true. And it's funny, I heard someone say something about entrepreneurs that's kind of similar, like you just have to get used to dealing with problems, because mm-hmm. there's going to be so many things that come up every day. And it, at the time, it does seem like the end of the world or devastating, but you just keep trucking and getting through it and you build up your confidence. And like you said, just knowing like you can get through these little things. Oh, for sure. Yeah, it's so important. Yeah, so what is a dream you have for the future, whether it's for your brand or personally? Future, I I want to grow. My dream would be to grow from Isla more into a brand that people seek out because they want to feel like the main character in their I really you know, I love creating and I love making people, you know, smile through jewelry. So I would love to just keep growing from Island to that kind of a brand. Um, but I also want to get to a place where I'm more involved in conservation. So I'm donating um, a portion of my proceeds to different organizations, but I want to somehow get from Isla to be more 
involved in it. Maybe it's, you know, maybe I'm just more of an advocate. I'm not entirely sure how this is going to happen yet, but I want to just be more involved in the process of just protecting our oceans. And then also in my personal life, um, I was in Greenpeace when I was in New York and I really loved, um, you know, of activism and I don't do that anymore. And I, I want to, you know, I want to help. Yeah, I think that's really beautiful. I think the ocean is one of the things I'm the most passionate about, too. And a lot of people who live by the beach, we mm-hmm. care so much about it. But I think sometimes it's it's hard to to know, like, what are the things I can really do that are really going to make a difference? Mm-hmm. Um, yeah. But, but yeah, I think that's those dreams are really beautiful. And it's really a neat idea, too, like you said, to be the hero of your own story and of your own mm-hmm. fairy tale. And I think it's really cool that more and more women nowadays seem to be buying really pe- special pieces for themselves and not waiting mm-hmm. for someone to buy it for them. Mm-hmm. Yeah, exactly. I love that. Yeah. So is there anything you wish more people knew about you? Um, that's a hard one. I, I think, um, people to know that when I'm designing jewelry, I'm not just designing pieces to sell and make money. I'm designing these pieces with intention and the process behind like each ring is so full of passion and it's so full of connection. And I, and I hope that when people look at my jewelry, they think, you know, like, wow, this came out of a fairy tale. And I want to evoke like those emotions of like, you know, awe and wonder and like a sense of adventure when you see my jewelry. And I want more people to know that I'm thinking about that as I'm designing, like that intention is going into each piece I want to, you know, create these magical little, you know, wearable pieces that you, you can look at and think like, wow, like this is so special. And I feel so connected to like the magic within. And I just hope that these pieces are really meaningful to me. And I, I really do think about, you know, when I'm creating each ring, like, where is this going to end? Who is it going to end up with? And what story is it going to help tell? Because jewelry is so sentimental and I want to honor that. And I just hope people can see like through my jewelry that I am really like over here trying to create magic that you can wear. <laughs> yeah, that I love that. That's so beautiful. Thank so you. Do you. How does it work when you do like, for instance, so you do custom pieces and then you mm-hmm. also do um, pieces that you can just purchase on your site that are already made? Mm-hmm. Yeah. So I have, um, like a made to order section, which is, um, I usually just put pieces there of stones that can be not like replicated, but stones that are similar. So like my, I put like my moonstones, pearls or stuff that just has diamonds, anything else with like, um, like an opal or an emerald, like stuff that would be super one of a kind. I, used in my one-of-a-kind section so all of those are like one-off pieces that are yes and I have them already made 
Um, and then from there, people can, I've had a bunch of people come up to me and say, oh, I really liked, you know, this ring, but I don't want an emerald. I want it to be an opal or a sapphire or something. So then I can create something custom from them based off of existing design of mine. Um, but I, I love the idea of things being one of a kind and that like, you just like, you are the, you know, like that was made and it's just a one-off piece. And it was meant for you. And now you have it. And it's like your little soulmate. (laughs) Yes, I love that. So how does it work as far as sizing? Like say someone wanted to buy a gift, but they don't know someone's Mm -hmm. size. Or if you're at a pop-up market, how does, do you size it for them? Or how does that work? Yeah, so sizing, um, if do buy something from the one-of-a-kind section, I can resize anything. And um, you just like, you know, let me know your size. I can resize it and ship it. Same with that shows. Usually people will say, I want this ring in a size, you know, seven. And I'll, I'll resize it and ship it to them. In the made to order section, I create it all basically from almost from scratch. So I'm making it in your size to begin with. Um, but yeah, resizing is. So a lot of girls don't know their ring size. It's really surprising. Yeah, I don't but... know. I don't know my yes. ring <laughs> <laughs> Yeah, I'm not sure. Like, it's it's pretty funny. Um, I get a lot of guys that message me about their wives or their girlfriends. They're like, I don't know her ring size. And what do I do? Like, how do I do, like, ask her without asking her? And a great way, like, sneak a ring from her and measure the diameter, the inside of the ring. And then I can figure out the size from that. So it's kind of like a sneak surprising your significant other without outright being like what's your ring size Mm -hmm. and they can just measure like with a a little measuring tape the inside Mm -hmm. okay yeah super easy awesome well Alexa thank you so much for sitting down with me and chatting this has been really awesome oh my gosh of course thank you so much for having me